0: Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain. The mission of this podcast is to improve the quality of life for those affected by a brain injury. We want to introduce you to traditional and cutting edge neurorehabilitation options so you can reach the highest recovery that's possible. Our guests are from different parts of the United States and may not be in your area, but we encourage you and suggest that you Google the topics discussed and see links in our podcast description to learn more. Be in the driver's seat of your road to recovery. We'll help. My name is Candace Gant. I'm a brain injury, traumatic brain injury survivor and founder of Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine conferences and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain 501C3 nonprofit foundation. I'm also proud to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. My guest is Dr. Emily Columba She has many acronyms after her name and I will ask her in a moment to describe them. Dr. K, she's given me permission to make that simple for me, is the lead clinician at Plasticity Centers of Denver. Dr. K has extensive training in functional neurology and clinical neuroscience from the Carrick Institute. She is certified functional medicine hyperbaric clinician, a diplomat on the American Board of Chiropractic Neurology, and a fellow of the American College of Functional Neurology. Since being hand selected to serve on the plasticity clinical team in 2016, she's had the opportunity to help clients with hundreds of unique conditions gain a better functional status and quality of life. She also enjoys presenting on neurodevelopment, neuroplasticity to physicians, clients, and families all across North America. So it is a real pleasure, Dr. Kay, to have you join us today on Mind Your Brain.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really can support the message behind Mind Your Brain and just being able to be a resource for people when there's no roadmap. Indeed.
0: Thank you. And so I'm looking forward to learning more about brain plasticity and the pyramid of neurorehabilitation. But first, tell us about all those initials and acronyms (laughs) after your name. Tell everyone what those stand for.
1: Well, long story short, I just really like going to school. Uh, But no, I have a a doctorate in chiropractic. I studied uh, neurology for several years as well. That's where I got the Uh, diplomate on the American Board of Chiropractic Neurology. Then I got my fellowship um, in the American uh, College of Functional Neurology. Um, I've done some schooling for hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, neurofeedback uh, and neurochemistry and nutrition, I would say are kind of my topics. But when you're working with the brain, you just have to really arm yourself with as much knowledge as possible because every brain is so different.
0: Well put, well put. And I love that you're a student of, of neuroscience. That, that warms my heart to know that there's somebody like you that's out there uh, champion the science behind recovery. So let's start with the why. Why brain plasticity should be important to us. Do you have statistics or any research that you can tell us about plasticity?
1: Of course. So whether you want uh, neuroplasticity or brain plasticity to happen, it's going to happen anyways. Um, it's, it's just a fancy way of saying that your brain learns and then it gets better at doing what it does the most. The reason people with TBIs or, or people that have had concussions should know more about plasticity is because it's not always good. Neuroplasticity is a double-edged sword. If you have a bunch of symptoms following your concussion and those symptoms persist, right? Or you have a traumatic brain injury and those symptoms stay with you, your brain's actually gonna get better and better and better at having those symptoms. You gotta break the chain. You have to break the chain, you have to break the cycle. So that's where positive neuroplasticity comes in or the sense that if we do things to rehabilitate the brain by helping it learn or helping it strengthen certain pathways that we can make lasting changes.
0: And you said something earlier when we were discussing before we were recording that you were talking about hitting a plateau. If you hit a plateau, that uh, it, you shouldn't consider that there is a plateau because the brain will learn all the way up through 90
1: Oh, yes. So there's been some research to look into neuroplasticity, and the oldest participants were 98. So it's not that at 99 your brain stops being able to learn. It just means that that's where all the research stops. Mm-hmm. Um, but your brain can always learn something new and you know, we hear a lot, like people plateau, or it always breaks my heart, but I have a lot of my patients who say, you know what, before I came in, I was having my doctors say, you just need to learn to live this new life. Like this is your normal, Mm -hmm, let's switch mm -hmm. to a route where you just accept it as opposed to a route of rehabilitation. And I do have a little bit of a problem with that because if someone hits a plateau, that just means that whatever therapy they're doing maybe has maxed out for right now, but there's no reason to think that a brain has a ceiling or a cap for learning.
0: That's encouragement. I think everybody needs to hear that that's that don't let people restrict, don't let people that don't know your, your, as the challenges that you have restrict you from growth. That's, that's
1: good. And the beautiful thing about, you know, right now, you know, I would never, of course, wish a traumatic brain injury on anybody. But if you had to have one, today's Mm -hmm. the best day in the history of the world to have one because the technology is better today than it's ever been. The science is better today than it's ever been. And it's only going to get better.
0: Amazing. We need to hear that too. Well, you're a ray of sunshine for us. Thank you. (laughs) That's terrific. So I want to talk a little bit about the pyramid. I understand the pyramid of neurorehabilitation is a way of assessing. And I don't know if that's a diagnosis you can tell us, we can dig into that and about treating people with brain injuries from the most foundational and fundamental aspects of the most complex cases. So could you, could you explain that all to us about the the pyramid that you work, that, that is a structure that you work within?
1: Of course. So the pyramid is just kind of a way to visualize this hierarchy of brain function, right? Like we know that you need certain functions to work for other functions to work. You know, everything's like, you know, the hip bones connected to the knee bone and so forth. So we built this pyramid with the thought of saying, what is the base? What is everything else relying on? And the biggest thing that we talk about is the autonomics because it controls blood flow. And it's going to be really hard to rehabilitate the brain if the brain's not getting good blood flow. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And so autonomics has to do with, in case anybody listening is not familiar with that word, that has to do with your blood flow through your brain, through your body,
1: mm-hmm. that
0: life-giving oxygen that helps your brain recover.
1: Exactly. It's that rest and digest or fight and flight. And it's very common when you've been through something traumatic, physical or emotional, for you to be in that fight and the flight state because your brain's trying to protect you. What your brain maybe doesn't realize is that it's trying to protect you even when the, th- the threat isn't there anymore or the injury isn't there anymore. And it keeps you locked in that state until you can have some positive plasticity switch gears and get you into more of that rest and digest, you know, good digestion, good blood flow to the brain and the central structures kind of state.
0: Yeah, uh, Amazing. Amazing. I'm glad you're breaking this down for us. And so could you talk to us about the six levels of the pyramid from autotomic to behavioral? Because the, you know, the, the end result is how, how do we present ourselves after the therapy? Am I, uh, what does my recovery look like? So I know let's talk about getting started and what the outcome is.
1: Absolutely. So like we talked about that base or the foundation of the, the mm-hmm. pyramid, the largest level, Yes. is the autonomic nervous system because it is in control of fuel like oxygen, digestion, blood flow, so fuel related. Mm-hmm. On top of that, there's all the ways that we interact with our environment without ever thinking about it. You know, we have hundreds of reflexes happening right now. You know, I have light coming in my window, my pupils are getting small. That's a pupillary light response. You know, it, even in your digestion, there's different neurological reflexes. A lot of people know the one where you you, know, you tap your knee and your leg kicks. That's a type of reflex, Mm -hmm. but there's also a reflex I'm using right now, uh, just by looking at you, Candace, that a lot of people after traumatic brain injury will lose this reflex. And it's the ability for the eyes to stay still on something, even when the head's moving. Yeah. And when that reflex is broken, anytime you're moving or the world's moving around you, you're going to have a hard time. So once we focus on the reflexes that we want to make sure everyone has, Mm -hmm. we also want to make sure that there's no survival reflexes that are there that should be gone. So when we're born, we're actually born with a set of reflexes to help us survive the first year of life because humans aren't very functional when we're born, you know, we're not not like those deer that when they pop out, they can immediately run. Like we need need to have these survival mechanisms. Yes. So we want to make sure though, that after your traumatic brain injury, that those survival reflexes didn't kick back in Mm-hmm. And then inhibit or um, kind of like put the brake pedal on recovery or further development. So once we get through autonomics and then the good reflexes and then the not so good reflexes, right. that's when we say, okay, now we've, let's focus on movement first, kind of just like gross movement or purposeful movement, and then into more complex or fine movements. And then let's talk about behavior because if you're not perceiving the world, right, if you're not getting good blood flow to your brain, if you're in this like fight and flight survival mode, why would we think that you'd have good behavior? Why would we think that you would have good cognition when your brain is so desperately trying just to stabilize these really rudimentary fundamental functions?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I believe I, I so I now have a clear picture of that pyramid, how the, it's the structure of it is so critical to get to the outcome. And so how do you start? So for instance, I didn't have as many, well, I guess I did. I had a few, I had to learn to walk and talk again. So I had the challenges of learning new physical skills. Mm -hmm. And that, as you suggest, that prevented me from reaching the goals I had because I had to fix that first before I had a behavioral reaction. Right. So
1: we kind of joke, it's like a baby. Mm -hmm. You know, what do babies do really well in the first couple of weeks, sleep and poop, right? That rest, exactly. And And sometimes cry. (laughs) So it's really just like my daughter. And then as they start interacting more, you know, they can watch someone walk across the room or they'll turn their head to a noise. Like those are some of the good reflexes. Mm -hmm. And then after they hit about one year old, they shouldn't have any of those survival reflexes left. And then they start walking. And then after they've been walking, they start you know, doing more complex movements, and then they learn to talk. And then, you know, they learned about good behavior, bad behavior, and then they learn about cognition. Um, so it's really just kind of taking your brain back through the steps that it had to be when it first developed.
0: Mm-hmm. And now tell me, it, I'm a new patient of yours. And walk me through the diagnosis process or the assessment so that I'll know where to begin. And you're going to start me at the base. I'm sure you're going to tell me that, but tell me why. So as a, as a patient, what, what would you suggest for me where we start?
1: So I always say, we have to see where you're at to know where, where we're going. Mm -hmm. So our diagnostic processes take about two hours. I want to look really intensely at your vitals. So I know some people, you know, they go to the doctor, they get the blood pressure taken, whatever. Yeah. It's very common. There's actually more info you can get from that if I do it right versus left, or you seated or laying down or standing. So mm-hmm. we'll do your vitals, the blood pressure, the oxygen, the heart rate in a several different positions to see how your body is responding to it's called an orthostatic challenge, but AKA standing up. I mean, you, you guys might be able to comment on it, but early on, do you ever get up so fast? You were like, oh, I have to hold on to something, you know? And that's usually because your blood pressure dropped and your heart rate spiked. So we have to make sure that the, the blood flow, the autonomic nervous system is looking good and, and reacting appropriately. Otherwise we need to make sure that that's our number one priority when we start working on the treatments. And then from there, we look at balance. Balance is a combination between your, what your eyes are perceiving, your vestibular system or where, how you're detecting gravity and appropriate reception or all the information from your body, your muscles or joints. So we look at balance and we do it eyes open eyes closed eyes closed when you're doing math right and we start taxing your brain we do it with your head left right up down and we look at all those different positions because they help build it's like pieces of the puzzle right they help build a picture of how is your brain functioning right now and then after that we do a lot with the eyes you know and Shakespeare talks about the eyes being the window to the soul Uh, but I can definitely tell you there your eyes are a window into brain function You know, the different types of eye movements, whether your eyes are jumping or tracking, like sliding or reflexes or how well they can stay still, all of those are related to different parts in your brain. So we have a really cool piece of technology called video oculography. So it takes videos of your eyes, oculo, and then creates graphs off of it, graphy. So video oculography. And it allows us to see what your eyes do, even when they're in the dark and there's nothing to look at. And that can be really telling because that's a little bit like your default state.
0: Interesting. You'll have to tell us what the treatment for that is, because that's really fascinating to me, but I don't want to stop the progress of you describing each of these levels.
1: No, so from there, that's, you know, at that point, we've gotten through a lot of the, some of the autonomics, some of the reflexes, things like that. And then we do a lot of cognitive testing, um, depending on the patient, depending on what they can and can't do. Everything's very customizable. Um, at plasticity centers, because every brain is different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, every injury is different because your fingerprint. Yeah. So we have to have to customize. Otherwise you're not doing your brain justice. Mm-hmm. And then from the two hours of diagnostic testing, you go into an hour examination. And that's where myself or another one of the clinicians check all those reflexes. We look at your pupils, we look in the back of the eyes, um, we look at your coordination, you know, touch my finger, touch your nose. I want to see how your eyes are positioned in your skull. Mm-hmm. I want to see how your vestibular system is responding to movement. Um, so that all takes an hour or so. And then after those three hours, that's when we come up with a treatment plan.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. So take me through a treatment plan then, because I want to go back to that eyes. If I had, there's many things with my balance, vestibular training. I think we're, uh, many people are familiar with that. Uh, but tell us other treatments that you might, that you often are prescribing?
1: Absolutely. So we break down our treatments the same way we break down the pyramid. So the first chunk of the treatment time, usually treatments are, you know, an hour-ish, depending on how much a patient can talk, maybe 45 minutes, sometimes longer, sometimes less, but the first chunk of it is going to be about autonomic stabilization, which is a fancy way of saying, making sure that we do everything we can to get you in that rest and digest state. Okay. And everything we can to make sure you have good blood flow to your brain. So, the couple of types of technology we use for that one is called, and hold on to your seat. That's a big okay. word. Okay. Photobiomodulation.
0: Okay. So it's a
1: way to modulate or change your biology or your brain mm-hmm. using photons, which is light. So, we have low level laser therapy or photobiomodulation, which uses infrared lights and lasers to help activate. Um, or help increase blood flow in different areas of the brain. So
0: it triggers that blood flow
1: through life. It's actually a really cool phenomenon. Um, I'll get a little nerdy with you, but I can definitely just stop me if it's not making sense. All right. We learned that not we like me, but we like a scientific community learned that the neurons or the cells in your brain have chromophores or these little sections where they can actually take light energy, which Mm -hmm. a light energy is called a photon Mm -hmm. and then turn it into ATP, which is what your cells use for energy. And every time it does that, it sends a little chemical signaler to say, Hey, I need blood because I'm doing some work here. Right. So because right. we're sending the light in, we let uh-huh. the cells use it to make energy. And because they do that, they automatically call or ask for more blood.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And I see Kirby who's here on the call with me as well. And she's shaking her head that this is really good stuff. Yeah.
1: And this is something where, you know, even, even at plasticity centers, I've been here since 2016. I don't think it was till 2018 that we started having photobiomodulation simply because devices were not that easy to get a hold of. Like it wasn't. The technology hadn't. You're right. Technology hadn't advanced enough to have it in clinics. Um, but now you can even get units for home use. <laughs>
0: so Amazing. it's
1: really, really fascinating stuff.
0: So the light is triggering energy through energy through production,
1: itself. which energy. then triggers blood flow.
0: Nice. Nice. All and the right. fun
1: thing about that is you can get very specific. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a certain part of your brain that's there to help you like have expressive language. Right. And it's a real, it's not a huge area. Um, it's just over on that left parietal cortex. So you can use that laser. It has like a one square centimeter head and highlight that area. Or if it's someone with a lot of autonomic issues, I want to highlight the brainstem. Well, the brainstem just lives an inch and a half past the back of your throat. So we'll use this long probe on our laser inside the mouth towards the back of the throat so that we can start highlighting that brainstem to really ask for more blood flow and heal because that's where that autonomic nervous system lives.
0: Great stuff, Dr. K. Uh, thank you for breaking that down for us too. Yeah, I think that's, that's really fascinating. Now, what's my next step? All right, so that I've done all the work that you've prescribed at my base. Now, where do I go? What? How do we work together to? to uh, to improve my outcomes.
1: Absolutely, so after we do all the photobiomodulation, we move on to electrical stimulation. And we do- Oh, that stir- sounds scary. No, 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 no. It doesn't feel like a shock. I even do it to little kids and they don't mind. It feels more like a pulse. So instead of the e-stim that maybe you see at a lot of PT offices where like the the muscle, the whole muscle will contract, the type of electric, which is good, by the way, that's a, a good way, a good, good type re- of- Good therapy. response. Therapy, um, but what we, what we do is a little different instead of having those like sticky pads we just have these two probes and we'll put them along one of the nerves either in your on your face on your tongue on your body to use that nerve as a pathway to activate a certain area of your brain. So a lot of the nerves that are on your face and on your tongue are parasympathetic. So when you trigger them, they trigger that rest and digest function, right? So we'll do a lot of electrical stimulation called somatosensory evoked potentials, or that special type of electrical stim that has the probes on different spots on your face, like on your cheek or on your eyebrow or on your tongue to help once again, encourage, your body and your brain to go into that rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system function, because that is where you can heal the best and heal the fastest. So uh, tell me if you, if you shock so you have electrical stimulation
0: and that calms your nerves. I would have thought no, that that would, that would yeah, trigger no, it's a, a different no, it's response. A little bit
1: weird. It, it activates or it, it kind of like stimulates the nerves that are in control of calming you.
0: Oh, yes. All right. All right. So that yeah, like, that makes sense. Yeah, it more juice right. to the
1: brake pedal. Yeah. Yes, more juice right. to the brake pedal.
0: I want to get to the brake pedal. I didn't. And the word stimulation, I think, was uh, an opposite uh, reflux,
1: yeah. reflux that you would have. But yeah. It's instead of, you know, sometimes you can't get the nervous system to take their foot off the gas. And that's uh-huh. where you have to. Make the brake pedal get pressed a little bit harder, um, but it's still the same kind of same result of increasing that rest and digest function.
0: Terrific. So I'm rested and I'm ready for the next step. Where are you going to take me?
1: After that, we'll do a lot of neuromuscular re education, uh, which is a way of doing head movements and body movements and eye movements to help retrain the brain. And that's where we go from super high tech to super low tech, because we do a lot of that with just our hands.
0: (laughs) Oh, tell me, tell me about it.
1: Yeah, we'll have you, you know, some of it's like vestibular therapy that you might have gotten before, where you look at a dot and we just do these gentle head motions, like Mm -hmm. as if you're shaking your head, no, or nodding your head, yes. Or if I want to stimulate other areas of the brain, like maybe the cerebellum, like a little part of your brain that's towards the back. Yeah. you know, I'll take certain limbs, whether it be your arm or your leg or your mm-hmm. wrists, mm-hmm. and I'll move them in these complex non-linear movements or these kind of new movements for your joints and for okay. your muscles sure. because that helps stimulate that part of your brain. So we'll, we'll we'll do different exercises together where I'll train you on how to do it so you can do it at home too. Uh, this is how you should move your eyes. This is how you should move your head. This is how you should move your body to help activate your specific areas of your brain that need. That rehabilitation
0: so there so i'm i'm getting better i'm feeling better already <laughs>
1: and then what's my next step from there once we've done a lot of that type of um, stimulation that the neuromuscular reeducation, we do have a, an off vertical axis rotational chair so we have this giant chair that you can sit in and i've seen can... that
0: on your website yeah. that's very cool stuff maybe you could describe it to the
1: listeners Of course. So when you're looking at the vestibular system, it's built inside the hardest bone in your whole head. It's called your temporal bone. Um, It's built inside of that by being carved out of it in these cool loops. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the thought process is how do you fully activate? Like how do you get the the most stimulation to the loop, if you will, or which, which area of the vestibular system needs it? And The answer is a full 360 degree body flip. (laughs) So we'll we'll change the angle based on what you need and we can change the speed. And, you know, I've never had anybody throw up or vomit or anything like that. Sometimes day one, people are anxious or scared about it, but it's actually
0: really safe. It's Um, a huge contraption, right? It looks like something you'd see next to a Ferris wheel at a fair. Yeah. It's like
1: something I read out of NASA, right?
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's a big piece of equipment.
1: Yeah. It takes up a whole room, mm-hmm. um, but it's very safe. You have a five point harness and a lap belt and an ankle strap and everything that we did during diagnostics and the physical examination gets accounted for when we prescribe your therapeutic plane of movement. So if I put you in that and I just spun you around chaotically, yeah, of course you're going to get sick. But if I'm only spinning you at the angle, that's good for your brain, Mm -hmm. you don't get sick. You, a lot of my patients actually say they felt grounded afterwards, like centered more in their body or clearer. Um, But it's a very, it's, it's intense, which is Mm -hmm. good though, because intensity helps break that negative plasticity faster.
0: And how do you know that that's the section of my brain that needs attention?
1: So it's based on some of the reflex testing I did with you in your physical exam, where I took your head and I moved it in different ways and looked to see what your eyes did. Yes. And it's also from your balance testing, like where are you holding your weight? Is it forward? Is it back? Is it left? Is it right? How did you sway? Which way did you turn your neck to make yourself more stable? Um, So it's all the data from that that lets me know that and just, you know, a lot of my clinical experience over the years, Mm -hmm. this is what's going to be the best for you.
0: And how are the outcomes of that? That I'm sure that you receive, I'm sure it's very gratifying because I can see just from your expressions on your face, how passionate you are about this treatment. And it must be equally as exciting to know that this recovery for your patients that is so well appreciated.
1: I will say, I love what I do. Is there anything more fascinating than the human brain?
0: Nothing. We all have
1: them, but we know so little about it.
0: Yes, yeah. But no, it,
1: it's, it's amazing to be able to help patients, you know, on average, we, we, we've, you know, looked at the numbers on average, our patients have seen eight different doctors before they ever get to us. So I know that they are days, months, years, sometimes mm-hmm. decades into the recovery journey. But when you're able to make a change in them in just five days, and they just, their hope gets restored and you give them a home exercise program and you assign them a patient success manager so that we can stay in touch. Um, And then maybe I see him again later down the road, but just being able to make that first, like having that first bud right direction when they've been so stuck for so long, they never get sold. Yes. Yeah. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the energy that you're getting. And then statistically speaking, uh, 92% of our patients get a statistically significant change in their symptoms, like in their symptom severity score. And about 80% of our patients will get 50% better, um, that have had a concussion or a mild traumatic brain injury. So you have some get outcomes, but there's also, we have such a wide net of people to refer to because if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes mm-hmm. a network of doctors to rehabilitate a human brain. And I have no ego when it comes to that. I refer all my patients to someone else at some point because there'll be a time where they all are stable, and maybe I'll be there for you know checkups every once in a while. But if they need something else, I'm more than happy to make sure they find another you know amazing clinician that will really listen to them and, and customize a treatment program for them too.
0: And I think that's important. You said something that I, it really struck a chord with me, and that is that it's you're referring them to people who understand. TBI and, and any brain injuries. And so you're not referring them to someone who doesn't have that expertise. So you're confident that they're going to get the right treatment and the, and the right empathy and the understanding, right? Cause I think that is a dearth of, uh, of activity for somebody They're They're so discouraged because the doctor doesn't understand them.
1: Yeah. And that's something where if I do have a patient from somewhere in the U S or in Canada, or even South America, where like, I, I don't know a doctor in their area, I'll make calls. I'll be like, Hey, I have this patient. Do you feel confident? And if they say, no, I'm, I'm not going to set my patient up to fail. Everything that we do is really designed to help our patients succeed in the term.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that I know that from just talking to you and I've seen so many and, and in the remarks and in our comments at the end, uh, we're going to talk about how they can be in contact with the, the, Plasticity Center, but tell us what did we miss? And, and so, have I reached the top of the pyramid?
1: So, you have not reached the top of the pyramid. Um, but what we say is the type of care that I provide, that neurological rehabilitation, mm-hmm. is really best for autonomics, reflexes, making sure the good ones are there, making sure the bad ones aren't, and then some movement and some cognition. But if it's mostly movement, I refer them out to PTs and OTs. If it's mostly cognition and behavioral, I'll send them to OTs or some other types of therapy like CBT or what have you. Mm -hmm. But really, some people make huge changes in their cognition when they're with us. And I joke with them that I didn't make them any smarter. We just stabilize the foundation. So those higher areas of your brain can finally do what they're supposed to do. You know, when you're in fight and flight mode, your brain does not care about remembering people's names. It does not care about deductive reasoning or mathematics. Your brain cares about how sensitive can your eyes be? How sensitive can your ears be? Um, and how, how can we keep each other safe? Right. And that's so where it shuts can, down. Right, right, Your reaction
0: is to shut down
1: and not let, not let any
0: information be absorbed.
1: Exactly. So when you can get out of that state, some people have huge changes in their cognition. And I, I joke with them, it's it's because you're finally getting good blood flow to your brain, and your brain finally is realizing that there's not a threat in the room. It can just do what it's supposed to do. It can do what it's good at. Um, that's just maybe been locked behind all these symptoms and poor function for for weeks or years.
0: Indeed, indeed. And and so, Dr. K, tell me uh do you see patients that are a year out from an injury, two years, five years? Is there any time that you, you haven't found success with the pyramid?
1: I would say, yeah, I would say the first two weeks, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't give us a call. Like in the first two weeks you're so inflamed Mm -hmm. from, from the actual like traumatic injury um, that I would say, you know, rest. Not ready
0: for rehabilitation yet. Right, right.
1: Right. Make sure that you're in a good spot where you're, you know, you're not needing acute care. Mm-hmm. And then from there, after that two week mark, you know, if you if you're out of that acute care phase, active neurorehabilitation is what the research shows is best. And then from there, we kind of talked about it. Your brain doesn't stop learning. So it doesn't like, to me, I'll take a patient that's, I think the, the longest it's been is around the it's the 26 year mark. I had someone that was 26 years post-injury that we treated and they still saw benefit. You know, is it a flip of a switch from, you know, not feeling well to hundred percent? No, it's steps in the right direction. But once you kind of figure out a person's formula, if you will, for their brain rehab, right. You know, You can customize that home program so they can take charge of themselves and then they can revisit us so that I can say, okay, now you're here. Oh, now you're here. You know, let's keep changing the recommendations to fit this new brain that you have and that you're building.
0: I, I, I'm so impressed. I, I think I I wish we had known this uh, years ago when I was recovering because it uh, clearly it would have been less of a long road for me. I will I say it's.
1: People say all the time, I wish I would have heard of you sooner. And all I can say is, I'm just glad you heard of us. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yes. Yes. Come one, come all. That's terrific. And so Dr. K, is there anything we didn't cover that you want to share with uh, our listeners? What could you, what could you add that I haven't asked? Uh,
1: I don't know. I mean, we we covered the pyramid uh, quite a bit. I would say just don't give up hope. You know, even if you're someone that is maybe missing part of their brain from surgery, we might not be able to grow new neurons. Although some therapies can, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, stem cells. But for most of us, we're not going to grow new neurons. But each neuron can connect to ten thousand other neurons. Hmm. So even Hmm. if we can't grow new neurons, we can grow the connections and help your brain communicate more efficiently. Whether that be, you know, five months or five years later.
0: Indeed, that repathing. It goes around the damaged area and finds a new connection.
1: Neuroplasticity at its finest. Yeah,
0: indeed. Indeed. And Dr. K, how can our listeners find out more about the pyramid of neurorehabilitation? I believe I saw a YouTube video that lasts about an hour. Is that a good place to start? And I can put that in the comments section of the podcast.
1: Yeah. So I, I presented at um, Making Connections, which is a Texas pediatric brain injury fair um, hosted by Team Link Hope for Mind, which is a really amazing nonprofit. Um, but I spoke to the families affected by pediatric brain injuries about the pyramid and about mm-hmm. how, mm-hmm. you know, if they're not at a stage or movement, you know, PT is not the right answer there are three levels beneath PT or beneath movement that we can work on first to stabilize. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just an hour about the, the pyramid. And yeah. then I would say, you know, we have our website, plasticitycenters.com. You can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook, um, but there are a lot of good resources. Um, and you, you can even hear from some of our past patients too, um, by just going to plasticitycenters.com.
0: Right, And I encourage all of our listeners to go and learn more. Because I think that, uh, like me, they're fascinated by this. And we're always looking for encouragement that you've provided us. And I thank you so much for that. And, and Dr. K, thank you for your amazing work that you're doing. And I hope our listeners have been encouraged by your statistics, the studies, the outcomes that you treat. I sure know I am.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity to share um, this is something I'm, I'm passionate about. You know, I have a family member with a traumatic brain injury and it's just all the things that I wish that we knew before. Right. I wish there was some sort of guidebook roadmap, but um, a lot of time it's just word of mouth of knowing what's new, what's cutting edge and what the best options are these days. Indeed. And that's why these podcasts I think are so valuable so that we can make
0: suggestions and, and provide resources to people in areas that they hadn't considered or don't know about. So that's, that's the rewarding piece of having this podcast is that we can reach out to that community and give them a a hand up. Absolutely. So please to our listeners, subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. We would like you to be part of the Mind Your Brain family and come back each week to learn more about the resources and treatments that you may not be aware of. And you can also, you may wanna check out our library of other podcasts on our website. So take control of your recovery, own it, and we'll help you. Thank you for joining us. Here's my virtual hug, you're not invisible to us.